Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Our scripture for this morning comes from Mark 1, 35-45. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. The word of the Lord. Annika. Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Kimberly, and I'm one of the pastors here at Stony Plain Alliance. I'm excited and grateful that I get to spend a little bit of time with you this morning. If you've been tracking along with us for the last four weeks, you'll know that we are making our way through the journey of the book of Mark, the second gospel or book in the New Testament of the Bible. And we're learning that the way the author Mark recounts and captures the story of Jesus ushering in the kingdom of heaven to earth. It's fast-paced and it's packed full. In the first chapter alone, the output for Jesus has been, in a very short amount of time, has literally been insane. He's been baptized and released into his earthly ministry by his heavenly father. He spent 40 days in the desert where he's experienced oppression and temptation and a class of, of spiritual authority with the devil, and he's come out intact. He's dealing with the emotional trauma of his cousin John having been imprisoned. There's been incredible relational output and relational building going on in the calling and the recruiting of the disciples that he's now with 24-7. And then there's been this 24-hour period that Shalina spoke to last week that describes a marathon of a day. It starts with Jesus preaching in the synagogue. He he goes and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. He's been crowded by people all day long. Then he's up late into the night, healing the sick and the demonized, with, as Mark says, the whole town gathered at the door. The relational, the emotional, the spiritual output of this day has been intense and extensive. They all would have been exhausted, but especially Jesus must have been exhausted. And that's where today finds us at Mark 135. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Imagine with me for a minute, you know, a small house with probably very few rooms, possibly just one room, and it's filled with all these sleeping disciples all spread out all over the floor. Probably there's a few dogs or animals thrown in there. That would have been a very typical scene for uh, a, a home in that village. It's still dark out. The sun hasn't even come up yet. 
And Jesus stirs, and he sits up from his mat on the floor, and he reaches for his sandals, and he slips outside, and he puts them on. And then winding his way through the streets of Capernaum, he climbs out into the hills overlooking the Sea of Galilee, which is on the northwest side, the town of Capernaum's on the northwest side of the sea. It would have been a perfect spot up there in the hills to watch the sunrise. And that's where Jesus got alone with his father and with his soul and prayed. I was able to go to Israel a number of years ago and, and visit Capernaum and clamber around in those hills and go out on the Sea of Galilee. And so I'm recalling this, this physical place and space as I think about this story. This act on Jesus' part, this withdrawing or slipping off to a solitary place, it's actually a habit or a behavior or a value in Jesus' life that shows up over and over again that his followers and the writers of his story in the Gospels, they recount on numerous occasions. You may recall earlier in Mark 1.12 that after Jesus was baptized, he went into the desert. The Spirit sent him into the desert for 40 days. And the word desert here, it doesn't necessarily mean heat or sand like we might imagine we think of desert. But it can actually be used or translated to also mean wilderness, desolate place, solitary place, quiet place. And referring to Mark 1.12, author John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says, Notice Jesus came out of the wilderness with all sorts of clarity about his identity and calling. He was grounded, centered, in touch with God and himself. From that place of emotional equilibrium and spiritual sucker, he knew precisely what to say yes to, and just as importantly, what to say no to. Hence, as the Gospels go on, you quickly realize the quiet place was top priority for Jesus. And here are a number of passages in the Gospels um, where we see this ongoing pattern in Jesus' life. They're probably up on the screen there. We're not going to look at all of those today, obviously. But from each one of these accounts, we see this withdrawing often from people, from, from daily life activities, from the demands of his ministry, to be alone with his Father and to pray. It's how Jesus began his ministry. It's how he made important decisions. It's how he dealt with troubling emotions like grief. It's how he dealt with the constant demands of his ministry. It's how he taught his disciples. It's how he prepared for important ministry events. It's how he prepared for death on the cross. It's how he depended on his Father's help. It's how he cared for his soul while he walked on earth. We say a lot around here that we think that the way that Jesus lived is the absolute, very best way that we can live. And so we endeavor to take Jesus' life as a template or a pattern or model for our own. And we also say a lot around here that the way we practice the Jesus way of life is by being with Jesus. And then in being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus. And in becoming like Jesus, we do what he does. And I think it's so incredible that we learn from Jesus' journey on earth essentially how to be a human being. And I think that's so kind because sometimes it is very hard and very overwhelming to be a human being. Is anybody with me? Jesus, he was a fully functioning human being with limitations. He needed to eat. He needed to sleep. He needed to go to the bathroom. He needed to rest. He needed to travel. He needed to work. He felt strong emotions, and sometimes he needed help with things. He needed to be with people, and sometimes he needed reprieve from people. Now, maybe Jesus was just an introvert, and he just needed to get away from people to recharge. 
I don't know. Obviously, I'm kidding. I have no idea. But as Jesus' journey unfolds and the more famous and known he becomes, the more the crowds are vying for his attention, the more interruptions that come up, the more demand, um, the more, more demands are put on him. Essentially, the busier he becomes, the more he withdrew to a quiet place to get quiet, to pray, to listen, to let his soul catch up and be restored. And always these passages, these, these accounts of Jesus withdrawing, they make me think, if Jesus needed time away, alone, to pray and be with his Father, and if I look to Jesus to show me how to live, how to be a human being, it's most definitely no different for me. I need to be with Jesus. You need to be with Jesus. Each one of us needs to be with Jesus. And Jesus' life, it was lived in in union and oneness with the Father. He listened to the Father to know where to go next. He talked to the Father about the things he was struggling with. He didn't live independent from God. His authority, his strength, his power came from God and from having been in the presence of God. In In John 17, he prays this powerful prayer for the disciples and for all those who would come to believe in his message. He prayed that that the disciples would be one as Jesus and God are one. And he prayed for you and I, that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And so when you and I take the time to be with Jesus, we're learning how to have union and oneness with the Father and with his Son, Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but when we first take time to be with Jesus, this actually gets us ready to go out and be with people to encounter our families and our neighbors and our colleagues and all the people that we run into. In living through this current season of our lives that we're in, I've, I've had this growing conviction welling up in me lately of how important it is for you and I to take very seriously the shoring up of our spirits. And what I mean by that is that each one of us is intentionally doing things to stay strong in our spirits when... It is very easy to feel weak and overwhelmed and hopeless right now. And I think one of the most powerful things we can do for our spirits is to be with Jesus, to get quiet, to get alone. No one can do this for us. This is something we have to decide to do and then take the time to do. This isn't a time in our lives to sit waiting for things to improve or go back to normal or go back to the way things are where there's no guarantees that that is going to happen. And even when we come through this, that we'll even recognize the world we once knew and thought we knew how to live in. Of course, I would be remiss not to acknowledge the grief we're all experiencing right now. So many things have been lost, and so many things are unrecognizable and difficult and heartbreaking. We're all experiencing these things. But we can't play the part of bystanders in our lives and in our journeys with Jesus. No one can be with Jesus for us. No one can shore up our spirits for us by being with Jesus, but us. And it can actually be really simple. It can actually be so simple to be with Jesus. The practice, it's gonna look different for every one of us because we're all very unique human beings and we're gonna come at it differently and I really like this. So although there's not a prescription of what your quiet place or my quiet place looks like, 
I think, though, as we're learning to follow Jesus and to adopt his practices for our lives, there's a piece of intentionality here of creating a simple practice or a habit of getting alone with God and with our souls. I used to live under tremendous pressure in this area of my life. It was extremely intense and complicated for me. I believe there were certain things and practices I had to do every day or I'd somehow lose ground in my walk with God and then I'd have to figure out how to, you know, catch up and I would never catch up. And, but even if I could catch up, maybe then I'd be loved or worthy. I was always needing to try harder to be with Jesus, even though being with Jesus was not even language I had comprehension of. But what I want you to hear today about being with Jesus is that there's no pressure, but only an invitation. And it's simply to come. Come and be with me. It'll do you good. And maybe that coming for you into a quiet place in response to this invitation looks like getting up early while it's still dark and everyone in your house is still sleeping. Or maybe it looks like sitting in front of your fireplace all cozied up. Or maybe it looks like sitting in front of a window with the sun streaming in or out for a walk in nature or on the back of a horse or on your commute to work or hiding in your closet from your children or sitting in your favorite chair after everyone's gone to sleep or putting on noise-canceling headphones and working out. I don't generally feel Jesus very close when I work out. Maybe you do. For some, this is a rhythm, this is a way of life and a practice you've had for a long time. And maybe some of you here today are wondering, well, where do I start in creating this rhythm? This is not comprehensive at all. Um, but, but for some, being with Jesus can look like deep scripture study. For some, it's practicing, praying scripture like the Psalms, that, that pouring out of the soul, that raging against all that is devastating and challenging in life. The acknowledgement of, God, you reign above it all. For some, it's following a devotional reading. For some, it's journaling prayers or making lists of the things you're grateful for. For some, it's practicing contemplative prayer or listening to music. For some, it's setting a timer and sitting in silence, just listening, waiting. Praying a breath prayer to anchor yourself when your mind wanders. God is here. For some, it's a mix of a bunch of these. I want to offer you something that's been incredibly helpful for me in the last couple of years. It's an app called One Minute Pause. I use this often when I get to my quiet place to be with Jesus. I found it helps to just settle my heart and my mind and to just to focus and concentrate on this present moment, on this time I'm giving to be with Jesus. And it just offers a few simple guided deep breathing exercises and then it guides you through some scripture and prayers centered around, I give everyone and everything to God. There's a one, a three, a five, or a ten minute um, option and I would just encourage you to check it out if that's something that you would like to look to. I found it helpful. Or, hey, ask the people around you who practice being with Jesus. What does this look like in your life? It might give you some new ideas. Let's move on to Mark 1, 36-39. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. These guys, these disciples, would have been hyped up. They have lived their lives in desperation for freedom from their current oppression. They have literally been crying out for a Messiah to save them. And look what Jesus is doing. Look what is showing up on the scene. Like, this was it. 
And so once they wake up and realize that Jesus is in the house with them, they engage in what some commentators said was an urgent manhunt. And they interrupt this moment of quiet and tranquility and prayer to inform Jesus that everyone in Capernaum has woken up and they're looking for him and to urge him to return to the village. Like, look at what happened yesterday, all these personal triumphs and what tremendous following is growing after you, Jesus. And they probably thought he'd be so pleased to know this. And this quote from the Expositor's Bible Commentary gives some explanation here. Jesus' reply shows that he feared his healings and exorcisms were hindrances to understanding who he really was. The people of Capernaum were interested in him as a popular miracle worker only. So Jesus suggests that they move on to other villages so that he might preach there also. It would have been easy for Jesus to just keep a good thing going, to, you know, to set up shop, so to speak, and to just kind of build on this fame and this popularity and this validation that's, that's come in, in the, as described in the first chapter of Mark. But Jesus, he disrupts and he disorients the disciples and the crowd's expectations and desires for him, and he chooses not to stay nor to make a show of leaving. Now, as Jesus moves on, are we going to see him continue to use miracles and exorcisms in the proclamation of the kingdom? Yes, so stay tuned as we continue to journey through the book of Mark. We're going to see this a lot because the entry point to the kingdom of God that has come to the here and to the now was always marked by a demonstration, a demonstration that another kingdom of light has come into the darkness and it has authority over the evil one. Everyone knew who they wanted Jesus to be, what they wanted Jesus to do, but they didn't even know him yet. And I I think that's why Jesus had to go off to be alone with his father early that morning. He needed to go to be with someone who knew him best, to be reminded of why he was there, and to seek direction for what he should do next. We see the result of having been with the father for Jesus was a renewed confidence in his identity and in his purpose and discernment for ongoing direction. I don't think it's any different for us. We're seeing here that there's this natural outflow or overflow from our lives when we've intentionally given time to be with Jesus. We see that what Jesus received from being with the Father is what we can receive as well, a reminder of identity and purpose, confidence, navigating disappointments or people's disappointments of us. Jesus would have had to navigate that with the disciples and crowds. The ability to operate from a place of quietness and rest, not other people's expectations and pressures. Direction for what we need to do, not for what anyone else needs us to do or wants us to do. Today, the right now available kingdom of God that Jesus demonstrated and proclaimed that we're constantly leaning into and learning, it's ushered into the world through you and I. And there's always this invitation, especially when there's pressures and the people are crowding in, just to keep coming back. Just come and be with me. And let how you show up in the world and walk your life out every day be from a place of having intentionally been with Jesus. Jesus moves on from Capernaum and and begins traveling throughout Galilee. And chapter 1 of Jesus ends with this encounter. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out 
and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and people, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places. But people from everywhere kept coming to him. In the New Testament, leprosy can mean various kinds of skin disease. And the way that the Jewish society functioned at that time was that according to Leviticus 13, 9 to 13, every suspected sign of leprosy or skin disease had to be brought to the priest for examination because it was only the priest who could declare someone unclean or clean. And for those declared unclean, the law prescribed that they would be excluded from society. They would be banished to colonies outside of their communities and treated as outcasts. Leprosy, like a corpse, would impart impurity to any object that touched it or came into contact with it. And so a leper is basically considered a living corpse. And what unfolds is this powerful depiction of compassion where we see Jesus reach out and literally physically touch this man. This is probably the first time another clean human has touched him for a very long time, even come into his presence. And Jesus' compassion, he says to him, I'm willing to heal you. Be clean. He could have just healed him with his words, but he takes it one step further and he expresses that feeling of compassion through the touch of his hand. Jesus is moved with compassion as his father is compassionate. This is one of the ways God describes himself in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We see this natural outflow again of having been in the presence of the Father as Jesus' ability to reflect the heart of the Father to this man he's encountered. Jesus is able to be like the Father toward him, full of compassion. Jesus' additional instructions to this man are actually further signs of kindness and compassion and understanding because ritually, this leper could only be fully restored to society and relationships if he followed the prescribed commands. Jesus wanted him to be able to recover a normal existence and be restored fully in every way, spiritually, physically, and relationally. This is the heart of Jesus as it is the heart of the Father, to restore humanity to himself and in so doing, to restore us to wholeness in every area of our lives. This is the kingdom of God that has come near. This is what he's come to usher in. This is the good news he's come to proclaim. I think this man's response was probably really natural based on, on what had just happened to him. Jesus couldn't get away from people being drawn to him and the good news he proclaimed, which was often displayed in powerful acts of mercy towards them. Poor Jesus, everyone was always so excited. Nobody's ever listening to him. As I mentioned, something that you hear us say a lot around here is we believe that practicing the way of Jesus looks like us being with Jesus and in so doing becoming like Jesus. And as Jesus has been with the Father, Jesus reflects the compassion of God for having been with him. I don't know about you, but 
on my own, I am not always amazing at being compassionate. And I, I think perhaps for many of us right now, it is difficult to be compassionate towards one another. In the midst of all of our COVID labeling of one another, we can be pretty hard on each other and just miss that we're seeing just another human being. The labeling has the risks of causing us to dehumanize each other. And at the end of the day, have our judgments of one another for making different decisions than us or having a different approach, have they done any good? I know it's a lot to navigate. I'm not trying to dismiss that. But Jesus' compassion in this encounter shows us that he stopped and he saw this man for who he was, not as ostracized or unclean or different than him, but as a person filled with the image of God. That's how he sees people, as sons and daughters reflecting God. And, and from this posture, he did not hold out on this man. He gave him, and he was in serious need and pain, his time, his recognition, his understanding, his generous willingness, his compassion, and his healing. I, I'm challenged by Jesus' behavior and actions that we've spent some time diving into today. I believe we've seen a very simple yet necessary and perhaps profound practice or rhythm in Jesus' life of getting alone, a way to a quiet place, to be with his Father, and to pray so that he could be like his Father. I, I would encourage you to think deeply about creating space in your life for such a practice or habit. And if you'd like to talk about it at greater length, come and find me. I like talking about this kind of thing. This past week, as I was preparing to speak today, I met up with my ordination coach and mentor, Graham English, just to hash through kind of what I'd come up with and the direction my studying and my heart wanted to take this. And he reminded me of this passage in Deuteronomy 32. It's a song or a poem that Moses recites and recounts who God is and what he's like. And verse, verses 10 through 12 have this cool imagery of the desert place and the care of God for those he finds there or leads there or who meet him there. And I want to leave you with it. In a desert land, he found him. In a barren and howling waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. The Lord alone led him. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace. Thank you.